Father, we come to you this morning and we acknowledge that it is only by the blood of the Lamb that we are made righteous before you. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that your Son made for us on that cross. We are we are unable to make ourselves worthy of anything to repay back what you have done by sacrificing your own son. But Father, you extend this to us out of abundance of your love and out of abundance of your mercy so that one day we may be joined with you. Father, open our hearts this morning. Help us to hear what you have. Draw us near to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. It is a pleasure to be with you uh, this morning to be able to bring the word to you. Uh, the responsibility of doing this, I do not take lightly. And so, if you have been following along with us this morning, uh, this past week or this year so far in our reading plan, this week had us um, in John 1. And so, um, before we get into the Word, let's pray uh, one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for um, your Word. Father, thank you that you have given this to us and that it is uh, living. Father, um, we just pray that as we read it, um, may you reveal yourself to us, and may you draw us uh, to you. For all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so John 1, let us start in verse uh, 29. Uh, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing in water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the Spirit descends and remains, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you um, for this text. And thank you for the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. 
Amen. So, the next day, he said, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is where we are going to camp most of our time today. And so, before we do that, there's one thing, there are a couple things that I want you to notice in this verse. Um, And the most important is the reference that John makes uh, to Jesus as the Lamb. Because it is important contextually that the Lamb is used in this uh, analogy. The Lamb was commonly used back in the Old Testament days as uh, a sacrifice or the days of the temple. And this was required, this sacrifice was required um, because of our sinful nature, because of the sins that people committed. See, throughout history, sin has been in existence. Back even in Genesis, um, a sacrifice was required in order to atone for the sins of Adam and Eve. Uh, In Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, they covered themselves with fig leaves, uh, but that was not sufficient. As you read in Genesis 3.20, it says, The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord uh, God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You see, even back then, the Lord had to sacrifice living creatures in order to sub, uh, a living creature in order to sub, to make a, a suitable garment for Adam and Eve to atone for their sins. The story of Abraham in Genesis 22, God commanded Abraham to make a sacrifice of Isaac, um, foreshadowing actually what God would have to do with His own son in his sacrifice for the atonement of the world. The majority of the book, the book of Leviticus explains how the Old Testament, the people of the Old Testament, or the temple days, uh, were to atone for their sins. Actually, in Leviticus 4, it says, If he brings a lamb as his offering for sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, lay his hands on the head of the sin offering, and kill it for a sin offering. And... Uh, in the place where they killed the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his fingers and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat shall remove uh, as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him uh, for his sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven." You see, over the existence of history and that of people, there has been sin. Sin always requires or required a blood sacrifice for the atonement of that sin. So as we look, and as we look, at, look today here in, in verse 29, I want you to remember that. I want you to understand the importance of what John the Baptist said when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, our sins require atonement. The image here again from the text, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Lamb, atoned for our sins. Jesus is the one who saves us because he has taken away the sin of the world. 
He substituted himself in our place to atone for our sins. One of the things that I believe is very important, and I know I've spoken about this before, is our perspective. You see, God did not need to save us from his wrath. Right? He could have allowed us to suffer the wrath of God because we are unable to uphold his holy and righteous law. However, out of abundance of love, he chose to create a way so that we may be able to spend eternity with him. You see, because God is 100% just, which means he cannot be in the presence of any injustice. So he just cannot look, overlook our sins. It's not part of his, it's not part of his nature. Right? In 2 Peter, it says, For God did not spare the angels when they sinned against him, when they sinned, but, they cast them in, but he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. God is not willing to spare his once holy creatures and his angels when they sinned. So we know that in order for him to be just when dealing with us, he cannot spare us as well. And since we know that atonement is required for the process, um, for the process of our righteousness, then there must be a form of sacrifice. Now, so, there, so there, we, we need some form of sacrifice. A sacrifice must always be required for atonement of sins. Some of you will think uh, or agree with me and say that yes, we do need to have some form of sacrifice. Sometimes we will sacrifice 10% of our income to the church. Um, sometimes we will sacrifice our time helping others or feeding others. Sometimes we will sacrifice our jobs in order to volunteer for people. I'm here to tell you that that is great. Super. Sacrifice all of the fleshly things that you want to. But none of those things in and of themselves will ever atone for the sins that we have committed. One of the things um, that we have to understand um, is that there was a one-time sacrifice that had to be made for us. This is why we no longer live according to Levitical law, because there was a sacrifice that was made. In Hebrews 9 it says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with, uh, with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not only not into the holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer him uh, himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not of his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away the sin of the sacrifice of himself. And just as, the appointed for, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who, who are eagerly waiting for him. You see, Jesus the person lived a perfect and holy life here on earth. Yet he died one of the most wretched, shameful, and painful deaths that was known to men at its time. Now I just want to give you a little bit of context of what a, what a normal sort of uh, Roman crucifixion would happen, would look like, right? So oftentimes the process began with whipping, and it, uh, excessive whipping uh, would often weaken the victim or the who was being punished, causing deep wounds, severe pain, and bleeding. Frequently, the victim fainted during the procedure, and sudden death was not uncommon. The victim was then usually taunted and forced to carry uh, the crossbar of the cross. They would tie it to their shoulders uh, and take it to the place of execution. The cruelty did not stop there. However, sometimes Roman soldiers would hurt the victim further, cutting off body parts, um, such as a tongue or blinding them. Uh, then, the next step, um, which varied but in Jerusalem, contextually, women would offer, uh, would offer the condemned a pain-relieving drink. So oftentimes, uh, wine with sort of myrrh or incense. Then the victim uh, would be tied or nailed to the crossbar, and after that was lifted and affixed to the upright post on the cross, and the feet would be nailed to it. While the victim awaited death, soldiers commonly divided up the victim's clothes amongst themselves. But death did not always come quickly. It took anywhere from three hours to four days for someone to expire. So you're probably wondering, why share all these details? Why talk about the crucifixion? Um, why does it matter? Uh, it matters because on that day that Jesus hung on that cross, he bore the weight of our sins. The Lamb of God was killed by my sin and by your sin. The horrible death Jesus caught, suffered, excuse me, was a consequence of our sin. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sins, the weight of our sins, laid upon the shoulder of our Lord to make atonement for us that we may experience salvation. Isaiah 53 also says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was murdered with the, transgressor, with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. 1 Peter 2 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin to live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. That we may die to sin and live to righteousness. The consequences of our sins resulted in the death of Jesus. And belief in him results in living in righteousness.
being seen as righteous in the eyes of God. Not anything we have done, not anything we can do, not everything we will ever do will ourselves make us righteous. It is only through the, shared, the shed blood of Jesus that we have become righteous and belief on Him. Jesus paid the price for us. Which then brings us to this part. The lamb sacrifice is our atonement. John the Baptist says, again, in the text here, it's, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? He is foreshadowing what is coming to those who are there. And who the Lamb was and is trying to let people know that their substitute is here. The sacrifice that Jesus made for us on that cross has now made us righteous before God. He literally became sin so that you and I may become righteous. In 2 Corinthians 5 it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become, right, become the righteousness of God. Jesus paid the price alone and became accountable for our sins. Sin leads to eternal death, but belief in Jesus leads to eternal life. In Romans 3, Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because of His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's, it's really interesting. Um, even at the beginning, from the beginning, the victory was already predicted. You can read in Genesis 3, um, shortly after the fall, uh, it, Genesis 3 says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat for the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus was the holy and perfect sacrifice that was required for our atonement. And it has made us righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Our salvation comes as a gift of grace. It is through, Christ, through faith in Christ alone, according to the infallibility of Scripture alone, and ultimately to the glory of God alone. Now, there are many examples in which we can use um, 
for a situation like this? One very simple one, that of a courthouse. But I think there's better ways to use this, a better example to use here. Um, back in Leviticus, if you've never read through Leviticus, just a sidebar, very interesting to read, lots of good information. But in Leviticus, uh, on the Days of Atonement, talks about how they would atone for their sins. In Leviticus 16, and it talks about how the bull was slaughtered, yet there was still another goat that the priest would place his hands onto that goat and essentially putting all of the sins of the people onto that goat and then sending him off into the wilderness, right? to atone for the sins of the people. Right? The sins are taken care of. There are no more. I don't know of a better example of um, what it was that the Lamb did for us on that cross. Our sins, we are righteous before God. Right? We stand righteous because Jesus substituted himself into our place, bearing our sins, becoming sin, so that we may become righteous in the end. You see, we have no hope on our own. We're not able to atone for our sins on our own. There was a penalty for our sins, nay, perhaps maybe better, a price that needed to be paid. Jesus became our substitute. He paid our penalty and he bore the wrath of God upon himself. We deserve much worse than the cross. We deserve eternal death away from the presence of God for our sins. But Jesus made the sacrifice for us so that we don't have to. He was our substitute so that we may become righteous before God. All we must do is believe on His name. Now, this brings up an argument in church world. And I don't quite, un normally I try to understand like, both sides of an argument for most people, or in most situations. Um, but this is the opposite side of this argument. I, will, I probably won't ever be able to get. Um, but there, is a, there are people who will deny um, the idea here of uh, penal substitutionary atonement, right? So there was a penalty that needed to be paid. Jesus substituted himself for us to atone for our sins. Um, I tell you that not because we're going to talk like in depth about penal substitutionary atonement. That's not the purpose. Uh, but I will tell you this. Uh, there, are many there are people in the world who will say that uh, God did not have to 
Jesus did not have to bear the wrath of God, and that God did not have to pour out his wrath. That is incorrect. And because God is just completely, injustice had to be dealt with. And so when people are denying that that had to happen, again, we're not going to go into depth. I just wanted to make sure that you're aware that when people say that Jesus did, that God did not have to pour out his wrath and Jesus did not substitute himself for our atonement, be leery of what they're telling you. So, enough of that sidebar. Begs to be the question, back to where we were going. So, the question now must be asked, what is our response to the atonement? Right? What do we do? We have this great debt. It cannot be paid. We have this future of eternal death headed our way. There's nothing we can do about it. The lamb substitutes itself for our atonement. What is our response? If you look at verses 35 and 37, it says, The next day John began... John was standing with his, two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So, John the Baptist gives us a little bit of an example of what uh, our response is to the, to the sacrifice of the Lamb. Uh, I believe humility is going to be very key here. Um, I've never had a disciple, never been like a teacher like that, uh, but I have to imagine that if somebody would be like, oh yeah, that's Matt's disciple, like that would be some sense of like ego inflation. Like I'm te- this is my student, this is my pupil. But again, so say that John the Baptist in, in what he's doing in sending his disciples with Jesus, right? Because he knows his whole, this whole experience of John the Baptist is that he is not, and he knows he is not the one, right? And so um, humbly sending, letting his disciples to follow Jesus, um, and then their obedience to follow when Jesus called him, calls them. Uh, when we truly understand the sacrifice that was made to atone for our sins, we humble ourselves to the point of obedience. When we talk about following Christ we be- and being a true believer, we often ask the question, how do we do this? The answer is often, well, look at the example of Christ. Now, um, my disclaimer here is that not in every situation are you able to do what Jesus would do, right? Um, that would be impossible because none of us are him. So like the WWJD, back in the 90s, early 2000s, those were a thing. I feel like those are setting a lot of people up for failure because we could never do what he did. However, he did set the ultimate example of um, obedience through humility, through humility, excuse me. Um, Christ's life was a life of obedience 
to the holy and righteous law of God. He was literally perfect, yet humbled himself to become a sacrifice for our sins. Romans 5 says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, by one man's obedience the many were made righteous. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. We've talked earlier about the process of what a normal Roman crucifixion looked like. It was obedience to the Father that resulted in a humble heart. Where you have obedience to the Lord, you will have a humble heart. Jesus was the perfect example of humility, giving himself up, knowing what was going to happen, yet humbling himself to the point of death in probably the most humiliating way possible, contextually speaking, at the time. I don't know if there are worse time, ways to die now, but at least in that time, the worst there is. In Hebrews 5, it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus learned to be, learned to be obedient through his suffering. His humility was the catalyst for his obedience. Remember the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, when it says, um, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Let this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. Uh, one of the things, so not as I will, but as you will. Um, you want to see an example of true humility. Try to give up your own desires um, your own wants, what you wish would happen, uh, to give up your will or to lay it down and say, not what I will, but God, what you will be done. Think about it for just like one second. Jesus was completely perfect. He was completely holy. Yet he humbled himself to obedience even unto death for you and for me. This is the good news. Jesus died for you and for me. He bore the wrath of God for our sins so that we may be made righteous in the eyes of the Lord on that day of judgment. He did this to show us that no matter what our agenda is, no matter what is going on, Nothing is greater or more important than the will of the Father. In order for us to be able to live according to this principle, we must humble ourselves first in order to become obedient. You see, from the beginning uh, of time, 
Our human nature has always, always fought this idea. The idea of someone else's will or somebody being over us. Uh, it goes against our flesh. Adam and Eve believed that their will was greater than God's. Cain believed that his will was greater than God's. Throughout our entire human history, man has sought to bring uh, glory to himself. Uh, And in order to do that, our will must be greater than anything else. However, we are not correct in doing this. This is not obedience to the Father. True obedience to the Father is when we lay our will down, our wants, and we obey the Father. So the question then becomes, what are we called to do? I would say that answer is pretty nuanced for each person. Um, We all have our own callings and we all have our own leadings in life. But there is one thing that I do know. We are first and foremost called to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. We are called to love Him over ourselves. We are called to love Him over our time, over our money, over our hobbies, and over our jobs. As humans, we will worship what we love. It's just sort of in our nature. And when we lift things up above Him, we are worshiping them, and ultimately ignoring the will of the Father. And we put our will above His, and we don't obey. So, the perfect Lamb of God that was slain for you and I, He will return for those who wait patiently those who humbly obey him. The lamb will return for his bride and the marriage of the bride of the lamb will happen. And as the church, we are his bride and we are given instructions um, on how we are to exist. We must not stray from the instructions no matter what anyone or the world will tell us. So that when the marriage of the bride lamb, of the bride and the lamb happens, you'll be able to join in that wedding. In Revelations 19, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of many uh, peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Brothers and sisters, this morning... Our hope, what we look forward to, the reason that we humble ourselves, the reason that we obey, 
is because we look forward to the wedding of the bride and lamb. So that we, as the bride of Christ, may join. So, worship team, if you would like to make your way up, I have a couple questions for you that I just want you to think about. Because I think all of this um, brings a couple questions up that I think need to, I would ask you to address sort of for yourself. Uh, the first question becomes this. Um, what is it that I am putting above the will of God? Have I humbled myself enough to be truly obedient? And what does that obedience look like? Two. When I look at the cross, do I see my get out of hell free card? Or, I, or do I see my sin slaying the perfect Lamb of God? And finally, what is your relationship like with sin? Do you hate it for what it did? Or is it just something that I do that I know I can't stop myself? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for the lamb that was slain. Thank you that because of that sacrifice that was made, our sins are atoned for and paid for, and you can see us as righteous before you. Lord, I pray as we leave here, Lord, that we would begin to see our sin for what it is. Father, that we would make our changes accordingly. Father, if there is someone here who has not called upon the name of Jesus, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to draw them to you, that they would make a day to make that day today to receive the sacrifice of the Lamb. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.